Let us worship God. from the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, beginning with the fifth verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. O God, you summon us into the wilderness and shape us in its arid places. Illuminate our hearts in these 40 days. Allow us to notice our hunger and our thirst. Sharpen our hunger for food that is not bread and awaken our thirst for living water, a spring sourced within. Amen. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. She said to him, 
How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews knew nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
Second reading, Exodus 17, 3 through 7. In those days, in their thirst for water, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, Why did you ever make us leave Egypt? Was it just to have us die here of thirst with our children and our livestock? So Moses cried out to God, what shall I do with this people? A little more, and they shall stone me. The Holy One answered Moses, Go over there in front of the people, along with some elders of Israel, holding in your hand as you go the staff with which you struck the river. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock in Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will flow from it for the people to drink. This Moses did in the presence of the elders of Israel. The place was called Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled there and tested God, saying, is the Holy One in our midst or not? Here ends the reading. Years ago, I hosted seventh and eighth graders in a conversation on the book of Exodus. And from the beginning, the children were the teachers. They read the text with fresh eyes. They posed frank questions. They wondered if the Israelite kids played dress up in the clothes their Egyptian neighbors sent with them into the desert. They wondered if the former slaves used the gold and silver they brought with them every day or just for holidays. So we finished looking at the emancipation from Egypt and we went on to a new book that was titled Children of Israel in the Wilderness. One of the kids asked the very most obvious question, what are the children doing out there without parents? Turns out this question goes very near to the heart of what wilderness meant then and what wilderness means to us now. The last sentence in today's reading captures it really well. Is the Holy One with us? Is the Holy One with us? Or are we out here without parents? 
We might be forgiven for failing to notice any mention of the wilderness. The wilderness wasn't mentioned. Remember when Moses listened beside the burning bush, the voice that spoke to him said exactly this. I have come down to rescue the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them to that land that is a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, God did say that, that the people would first be fully freed from slavery and then go to a land flowing with milk and honey. The milk and honey part came without so much as a mention of the wilderness part. But here they were with their thirst. It's no secret to us, and it was no secret to them. The arid desert lacked all the glories of Egypt. It lacked the plentiful grain and bread of Egypt. It lacked the meat pots with onion and garlic. It lacked the many rivers of Egypt's delta. How could God have left out the wilderness? That's just confusing. No flow of honey or milk, and apparently, instead, a wilderness, a place without visible life supports, barely habitable, a parched land without water, and without a constant supply of sustaining food. So Israel's ending came first. Layers of endings, really. The end of slavery, of the only life that this generation of Israelites knew. 400 years of servitude to the Egyptian empire ended. And the life outside of slavery was unknown to them. My work as a therapist is to accompany people. Most often, I join them at the point of endings. They can describe the ending or the endings, but there is no beginning in sight. What they describe is like a wilderness. What they describe is like being lost, like being alone. Like the great wilderness people, no one told them that the first phase of the journey is always the ending. The ending comes first. No one told them that the predictable second phase of the journey would bring the feeling of having lost one's way would bring an interior emptiness, a feeling that growth had stopped, something like winter's fallow ground. This is a pattern. First comes the ending, then comes the wilderness. No one tell them that there isn't a shortcut, there is no ways app. The important work of endings will I invite them back again and again and again if the transition is left incomplete. There's no shortcut. However, our wildernesses can be made longer. No one told them 
and no one told any of us. The endings described by the sufferers that come into my office sound familiar always to human ears. Pink slips, relocation, death, important relationships filled with destructive discord, or existing in ways that cannot be remedied. A trauma, perhaps the first disclosure of a past trauma. It may be the time when one's addictions turn on them. It may be the frailty of a parent or of children or the loss of one's own health. These same endings were experienced by those leaving Egypt. The slaves were enduring a cascade of endings, their predictable brick and stone and mortar work ended. The infrastructure that supported the empire of Egypt was ending. The need to emigrate came very quickly, even while life was happening. The aged were dying and babies were being born. Uncertainty swirled the location of their relocation had not been mentioned. We might think that anyone that packed their belongings before finding a new address had really messed up the order of things. Yet, even knowing the new street address leaves the real transition, the essential parts of this journey ahead. Even loading the Mayflower van with one's earthly possessions omits the real work of transition. Transition, the etymology itself means transient. Although ours was nothing like the transition Israel made between empire and wilderness, our family experienced enough of a transition to teach us about the process. So I'm going to just share what we learned in the process. We wrote, relocated after the end of a job that ended up really being a career change. Long relationships with friends changed. Care from physicians and dentists we'd known ended. Schools changed. The list was long and longer. No one told us that the transition itself would be our teacher. No one told us how much we had to learn. There were great differences in the way each person in our family of five felt about this move, but the similarities had faint echoes of Israel's experience in the wilderness. After the ending, we felt vulnerable. So much was new. We felt fear with that vulnerability, sparked by the demand, that everyday present demand of change, fight or flight or freeze. We felt dislocation, just like Israel must have. We had an unhinged migrant status 
in our new home. In degrees, we felt a loss of identity. We inhabited a between place, a place that was disidentified with our old home, but not yet re-identified in our new home. Any enchantment that we had felt about life so far was absent. We were disenchanted by this transition. We felt disengaged from the lives we had lived for so long, the life we had had only months before. The transition, this familial, personal journey, disoriented us. Transitions exist now across the globe. We see the global family reeling from disorientation, from forced immigration, as something radical changes the global community. The desert experience, the transition time of vulnerability and dislocation, disorients the wilderness travel. And yet, and yet, God is committed to the wilderness. God is at home there. God followed the emancipatory upheaval of Egypt, that powerful ending with a wilderness that he was in. This life in the arid void functioned like a great social leveler. God chose wilderness then. He chooses wilderness now, ancient and modern and necessary. To introduce the ways God's attentive parental love showed up in the wilderness, I would like for you to listen to my great niece, Audrey. In November, this last November, she's three, she woke up to a snow-covered world for the first time ever. She stood in front of a span of clear glass windows onto the backyard. She raised her hands in the air and said, how did this happen? I just want to know, how did this happen? Just how did each contradiction in the desert scarcity appear before the very eyes of all of Israel? Contradictions of cloud and fire, contradictions of water and bread, which told and retold that God the parent was with them. To be sure, it looked nothing like the care of the Egyptian Pharaoh. It looked nothing like empire. Vastly different than a delta. Vastly different than making a trip to the royal granary. God's wilderness bread fell from the sky to quiet a cry of hungry people for food. God's wilderness well opened for their complaints of thirst. God was present in the cloud by day, perhaps as a needed moist sunshade 
in the desert daytime heap. And my hope is that the kids noticed that it was cooler in the shade of the cloud and played their games there. God's presence remained with them in the pillar of flame at night. I hope that a chorus of middle school age kids played in that upside down bonfire. God's presence was with them. It seemed that the children of Israel were not in their wilderness without a parent. Just as parents do, God attended to their cry for food, and this strange new bread covered the ground. Maybe some chorus of three and four-year-olds squealed on that first morning. Just tell me, how did this happen? And the wilderness parent taught this lesson, just as our poets do. Gathering more is not the way. The inequities of Egypt were challenged at this table of wilderness bread. God showed a great commitment to the wilderness. God shows commitment to the wilderness wanderer with loving attention to the hunger and their thirst. God was present and standing in front of Moses for the provision of water. Maybe the children were squeezing in to have a place next to the elders for a front row view. And God said of the water, there will be enough. An empire reliance on scarcity was challenged with the water that would be at every wilderness table. Here's an odd piece. In his first letter to Corinth, Paul ponders this provision of water in the wilderness, and he says, they, the Israelites, all drank water from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. That's all he says. One tiny verse that he doesn't bother to support. When I checked extra biblical texts, the Mishnah, available to Paul to read in his day, I discovered that this very description of a source of water, one source says they took the rock with them, but they had water available. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. God provided wilderness water enough for all the humans, for all their flocks. Paul writes that the source God provided, the rock, was Christ. Then we listen to Jesus' words read by Leo this morning. Jesus identifies himself as the very source. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is speaking to you, you would ask, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The children of Israel 
were not in the wilderness without parents. The wilderness God from the beginning is playing the long game, no less than, than now. And Jesus later sat at another well and described himself as the one who serves up living water, deep wells that spring up in those who ask. In this long game, we never journey, even in our most arid places, even when our endings have moved us into a great wilderness. We never journey without a parent, for God loves the wilderness.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
one, you have fed us in song, in story, in silence, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love, be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen. Go in peace.